Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 15th. The Clemson Tigers have just suffered their first regular season loss in about two years. Brent Venables has filed motion to outlaw the shovel pass. Tim Barrett finally gets to take a vacation, and life sucks. Um, ben and Cody here with you today, guys, to recap Clemson's 43-42 uh, to befuddling, if not predictable, loss to the Pitt Panthers in Death Valley Saturday night. I'll be honest, that was a tough one to take. Life does not suck. It's still good. Um, And alas, when it was all looking like doom and gloom, we woke up on Sunday. The sky has not fallen as Michigan and Washington also lost, and we find ourselves still ranked number four. Um, Although, honestly, Cody, I did not know that to the next day. After the game ended on Saturday night, I shut myself off from college football the rest of the day and really didn't know until the next morning uh, that Michigan and Washington went down. And it did make me feel a little bit better about things. Well, for me, I actually went to the game, and I guess I brought a, some little bad luck with me. Um, I got a tailgate, first time I've been to the a Clemson game in about five years, and wanted to see the campus. It's beautiful. Um, so many great memories, uh, nostalgia. Uh, the campus is, uh, I got to show uh, some some of my friends and family, and they were, they were in awe, so it was great. Um, Anyway, so I went to the game, had a surprise 30th birthday party for a friend in downtown Greenville, so I had to leave at halftime and didn't get to watch the fourth quarter. I hated it, but it was just, you know, it's a good friend of mine. I got a text message uh, from my brother saying that we lost, so I had no idea and could not believe, you're right, like college football together, just a a crazy, crazy weekend and... uh, you know, not much has changed, though. <laughs> At the end of the day, the playoff rankings were released, and it looks like uh, we're kind of back to square one. Yeah, we're almost, we almost kind of didn't skip a beat after that. I mean, if we were going to lose, this was the weekend to do it, and that was the game to do it. Really surprising that, not so surprised that Washington lost, but surprising that Michigan lost to Iowa um, in such a close game. Uh, I think it was 14-13 to 13 there. Um, but coming back to our game, uh, Cody, I first want to set the mood here by describing how we felt after the loss on Saturday because it's something that we really haven't experienced in a long time, uh, the national championship game notwithstanding. Uh, on you know, my side of the world over here, out here on the West Coast, I know you were back there in Clemson, you know, our alumni bar looked an awful lot like Hillary Clinton's campaign headquarters on election night. There were a lot of expressions of shock and disbelief, some surrender cobras, and language that make it, that would make a sailor blush. You know, you were at the game, Cody, you know, you did mention you had to leave early, but was there a mood throughout the stadium as that game was going along, as it was staying close, that, oh no, here we go again, and this could be the loss? Uh, this could be the time that everything finally catches up to us and we experience a loss? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was very somber. Um, I think uh, it reminded me. It reminded me of when I was in college uh, back in I graduated in two thousand ten. It reminded me very much of a, the Tommy Bowden era where we we go in, we look flat, a team that's vastly inferior to us somehow miraculously pulls it out. We do uh, you know just amazing things 
to, to manage to lose. And it, again, playing down to competition hasn't really been a, a staple of the Dabo Sweeney era, but that's what it was in this one. So let me, let me stop you there, I guess. I will have to say that I would not say that we were vastly superior to Pitt. After watching Pitt play, and first, props to Pitt. Pitt came in better prepared and with a better game plan, and those kids played hard, and I think Pat Narduzzi has a really good thing going up there in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, all of their losses this year have been very close. They do have a win over Penn State, uh, and didn't they beat Virginia Tech, I believe? Uh, so they do have some good wins this year, um, and all of their losses have been close. So I think this is a very solid po- football program, and we saw that on the field on Saturday night. Like, they played us tough. You know, man-to-man, you know, they you know, they sized us up, they looked us in the eye, and they knew that they could go toe-to-toe with us. Yeah, no, and that's not to say, yeah, I said a vastly inferior opponent, and they, they came out ready to play. Uh, I, I just kind of parallel that to the Tommy Bowden era where a team – uh, that's not as good as us comes into our stadium and we somehow managed to shit the bed and uh, it was and again just playing down that's not something we normally do um, we, we didn't take care of business you're right though uh, they're, they're a lot better than their what was five and four record now six and four um, and they have a good offense they have a really good running back they uh, have a have a lot of good pieces and like you said Pat Narduzzi uh, is, a, is a good coach had a, an amazing game plan for us at least on the offensive side of the ball, we can we can talk about that in more depth in just a little bit. Yeah, and I guess they actually did lose to Virginia Tech, but three of their four losses this year have been by one score or less. The only big blowout was at Miami, which was uh, prior to the Clemson game. So, uh, you know, don't want to make a lot of excuses in this game. I'm not going to blame the ACC refs, even though they, they were horrible, and we can talk about that later. Um, you know, I, I don't want to even blame it on not being able to establish a run game because, to be honest with you, it was the mistakes that finally caught up to us. We, we put up enough points to win. We put up more offense than we have all year long. So it wasn't necessarily the run game. Um, just what happened, this is this Jekyll and Hyde team that we've seen this season. After the Miami game, or sorry, after the uh, BC game, we thought we had a really good thing going. After that big blowout, we were brought back down to earth. Uh, you know, after beating Florida State, coming from behind on the road, and then blowing out Syracuse at home, we thought this team had finally turned the corner. But here they go, bringing us back down to earth. You know, the fact of the matter is, Clemson failed to clinch the division on Saturday night. And there's something to be said about uh, knowing how to go out there and, and win a game to seal the deal. And this team has shown more often than not this year that they don't have the ability to put teams away, and they're mainly relying winning on talent than out executing people. So you throw in, uh, you know, turnovers and drops, and then also the worst offensive performance we've seen in a while, plus a pretty decent pit team, that equates to a loss. Right, and you, you mentioned the lack of execution, and it came from on so many different levels, and that has been the quintessential Clemson 2016. Uh, yeah, we've had a, a lot of wins, and we were undefeated up until this point, but on so many diff- different, so many different aspects of the team have, have at times had their weakness, and uh, in this game we saw almost all of those kind of um, coming to fruition at the same at the same time. Whether it, whether it be a little bit of play calling, lack of creativity with play calling, um, Deshaun Watson's interceptions, wide receiver drops, or uh, in this case the defense just getting uh, outplayed at, and, and beat on a number of, of levels. Uh, we can we can go into that in more depth, but 
uh, note, I, I, you know, silver linings will, will come out. We'll, we'll see a lot of, hey, we're all of our goals are in front of us. Uh, you know, we still have a chance to make the playoffs. We're number four. You know, the hell with that. We're, the silver linings can wait. We, we have a, a very flawed team, and we're here to diagnose that, to go into more detail and tell you what's going on. In this point in time, uh, for, for Clemson football, you don't, you don't need to know that all the goals are in front of you. You, you, can, you can deduct, uh, deduct that or deduce that uh, on your own. Right. And now, you know, when you say a win is a win, that's one thing when you're undefeated. Uh, but things change after you have a loss. Those close wins come under more scrutiny. And I think now after we have experienced this lot to pit, we go back and we look at the close game to NC State. We look at the close game to Troy, albeit a good football team. We still should have beat them by a lot more than we did. We look at the second half against Georgia Tech. We look at the close game uh, at Auburn to open the season. Auburn is a much better team than they were at the beginning of the year, even though they lost this weekend. So, yeah, you really start to scrutinize those close wins. And you take a look at this team as a whole and you try to define their personality and who they are. And whereas before where we were thinking these close games were the outliers, it really kind of turns out that the Boston College and the Syracuse, Syracuse games are the outliers. Right. There was this narrative about, you know, teams, you know, teams getting uh, or Clemson, I'm sorry, getting their best shot from all these different teams and Clemson in the in the right moments coming through because they're they're winners and they've they're they're changing the definition of Clemsoning from, uh, you know, to a completely different thing. But really, in this, in my mind, this validated all the things that Clemson really was. It just we, you know, sure luck uh, was able to prevail in re- really quite a few games. I, I think Louisville was really a lot worse game. Uh, we pl- we did some things at an amazing high level in the Louisville game, but we also shot ourselves in the foot time and time again. Same for NC State. Uh, the fact that we missed the field goal or the the kicker missed that field goal was our only saving grace there. Um, I would say, you know, really the one good-looking victory this year was Florida State, um, aside from, of course, the blowouts. But, um, yeah, in my mind, this validated that we aren't the number two team in the nation. We're really not ready to be considered a, a contender for the national championship. And, uh, and there's a lot of things to, to work on. Yeah, I mean, you go up, you play like this against Alabama, you're going to get blown out. And you talk about... Uh, uh, Clemson receiving every team's best shot. We're kind of waiting for Clemson to give somebody their best, right? You know, we've seen uh, uh, bits and pieces of it this year. This team has all the talent in the world. This team still has all the potential in the world. Can they win the national championship? Yes, but they have to put it all together. Like, they can't keep playing like this. When you you see that you can experience, uh, you know, mistakes on defense and turnovers on offense, drops on offense, and that can lead to a loss against a mediocre team. So what do you think is going to happen if you do that against Alabama? Right, and that's, that's how you have to think about it. If you came in to this year with the mindset that we want to win a national championship, and I hope you did, I think you should have, then you need to be benchmarking our team versus the elite, which really is Alabama. They're, they are the gold standard right now. Uh, you could say Ohio State's close, Michigan's close. But that's who you need to be thinking about, and you're right. If, if you can't squeeze one out against Pittsburgh at home, uh, you, it's going to be a long day against Alabama in a playoff game. And, and I don't want to just get there and say, hey, we can still win it. I want us to get there and, uh, and win it. I want to be the best team, and you're not going to squeak by an Alabama. I don't think you're going to be able to squeak by any of those teams in the top five. 
No, I mean, I think we could consider that, that this season would be undeniably a failure if at least the team doesn't make it. I mean, definitely if they don't make it to the playoff, but really we can almost say if they don't make it to the national championship game. I'm going to start short of saying it's going to be a failure if we don't win it all because, listen, that's not giving Alabama nearly enough credit. They're a fantastic football team. We saw that last year. We're seeing that again this year. But, you know, that bar is set a lot higher for Clemson this year. Yeah, it in my opinion, rightfully so, uh, rightfully so. Not, I mean, the, everyone returned, and I guess uh, the offense has has been one of the biggest. Uh, you know, the kind of the Jekyll and Hyde has really been the offense. The talent's all there. Everyone returned. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about the only losses on the offensive line were were you know what we thought were upgrades. Uh, Sharon Peak left, but we replaced him with really Mike Williams. Um, there's no reason that the talent's all there. There's no reason for it not to be better. Uh, you could you can make the the actual reverse argument uh, for the defense, but that's been the unit that's been for the most part up until this game our tried and true, our, our kind of our foundation, our backbone. And uh, but you know they've been they've been really good. You know it's just been it's just really been the offense. And now we saw kind of both things kind of uh, the, the inconsistency on both sides of the ball in this game. Well, the defense is only going to be able to carry the offense for so long. I've been stating it all year long. The offense needs to help the defense out. It hasn't been as much of a problem this year because we do have a little bit more depth on defense than we did last year. We have a much stronger, you know, amazingly defensive line. Uh, but, yeah, everything kind of reared its ugly heads. You know, the all the mistakes and everything culminated in what honestly probably should happen a while ago, given how many close calls Clemson's had. Uh, so let's use that as a transition to jump down to breaking down the offensive defense. Before we do that, quick shout out to the podcast. You know, follow us on Twitter, follow us on iTunes, go there and leave us a review if you have a chance. You know, any feedback that we get helps us make this a better uh, show for you guys uh, because we do this to, you know, we do it for fun, but we also do this to hopefully bring some people some good content, some entertainment, some more. Uh, insight and thoughts on Clemson football and also very happy to be uh, partnering with Tiger Net this year. Cody, I'll let you speak a little bit about them. Yeah, uh, for me, I always love watching Dabo's interviews after the game and I was particularly interested in this one because it was a loss, obviously, just to see how he handled it. Um, always good to see post-game interviews. Venables and Dabo are, uh, are, are must-see TV for me, a lot of great player interviews and things like that, just to kind of uh, consume as much as you can. Not always the best in in losses, but you know it, it makes the experience, the football season experience, a, a lot better. So go check them out. Uh, they also combine that with a lot of nice um, pieces on really what's going on in the year, um, more personal stories with players, and uh, and those those are always good because as I always say, there's some great guys that that play for Clemson, and uh, we 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 definitely shouldn't. Uh, we should definitely shouldn't undersell that. It's it's a it's a big part of what Clemson football is now. Go to TigerNet, take it all in. Okay, so Cody, now let's let's jump into breaking down a little bit more specifically the offense and defense. And as we normally do, let's start with the offense. You know, I've seen a lot out there about how the run game or lack thereof was the real culprit in this game. But we knew going in that that Pittsburgh was going to load the box to stop the run. It's really what they've done all year. They've typically left their secondary hung out to dry. Um, and so not to mention with, with for Morgan being out, Hyatt went down in the game, and Hearn has been a disappointment for most of the year. So it should really come as no surprise that Clemson struggled to run the ball or that Watson threw for so many yards. 
And so to reiterate, you know, the inability to establish the run was not the reason why we lost this game, in my opinion. Clemson consistently drove the ball down the field and had a ton of success in the passing game. 630 yards of total offense was the most we've had all year. To me, we lost for two reasons. Interceptions in the red zone, two of which were in the end zone, and play calling. Specifically, the play calling that called for runs in critical situations when we hadn't even shown the ability to get a critical yard all game, let alone really all season. Right. If you want to if you want to put it on something uh, in this game, at least on the offense, we'll start there. I, I think you have to start with drop passes and uh, and the interceptions. It seems like it, again I missed some of the game and, it, and it, I went back and I, I saw Deshaun Watson's stat line. I was like, wow, he must he had a horrible game. 580 yards passing, uh, average of 8.3 yards, three touchdowns, and of course the three interceptions. Um, the only analogy I can think of is in baseball, where you you have a pitcher who's pitching a no hitter. But he gives up maybe I don't know in the same inning uh, we'll say two three run home runs. Uh, it, it's these are these are catastrophic mistakes that he's making, and uh, he, you know an, everything aside from that is just is is excellence. Uh, he did so many good things. Um, he, he was making plays on the run, uh, NFL passes. Uh, his accuracy I thought was good. His deep ball on a few and a few uh, passes was good. It, it just you can't make these mistakes in in the red zone right there. You, you can't make these passes. Uh, the Pittsburgh uh, secondary they weren't that good. They were they were an advanced high school secondary. They weren't they weren't good. Uh, you shouldn't be making those passes. You shouldn't be getting baited in to those passes in the red zone. And in a way that's kind of that's interconnected to the running game not being able to get positive yardage consistently. Not 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 being able to go to that. Uh, especially in red zone situations. Yet, you know, we went to it at some times where you're like, why now? Why are you going to this play now? You know, going back to Watson, um, and, and he'll be the first to admit this to you, I think. The the Clemson records, the most passing yards in the game, is, is kind of all for naught if you don't come out with the win. You know, this is really the first time because we lost, that Watson is really experiencing criticism in this manner of, of people maybe putting the, some of the blame, part of, if not all of it, on his shoulders. Uh, definitely for the first time in you know this year, I think, but also really in his career as a Clemson Tiger. So I'm going to be really interested to see how he bounces back from this. You know, and I, I expect him to do well. I I don't know what the answer is. I don't know why we're seeing these interceptions. Part of me, you know, we've kind of seen it with the tip passes too. I wonder if his height has an effect on that. And now we're getting these taller offensive linemen. If his vision is somehow obstructed uh, to where he's not seen. Because when he, when he, a lot of these interceptions are right to defenders. They're not, I've never, I don't know if I've once seen this year, maybe one play that I can remember. Uh, an interception from Deshaun Watson where I was like, wow, that guy in the secondary made a fantastic play. No, most of the time I see the interception coming before it actually happens because it's just so obvious. Yeah, and that's going to kill his NFL stock. I mean, I, I don't, you can look at mock drafts and you see people that are really high on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with some things they see. Um, 
and, and his character, which that is important to an NFL team. You can't have, you know, certain guys. I won't name anyone. You have to have the right leader. And I think he has that makeup. But these, these, like you said, these, these interceptions are inexplicable. Um, there's, there's no excuse for it. And they can derail your team so much that it completely offsets all of the good, all of the 580 yards of passing that you brought to the table. That's how, that's how much they hurt the team. And you just can't make them. And it, it's tough as a quarterback. It's really stinking tough because you got to ride that fine line between I need to be aggressive, I need to give my receivers a chance to throw the ball, or I'm sorry, to catch the ball. Uh, but <laughs> sometimes, I, I guess, I don't know what it is. It's vision. Maybe he's calculating going through his progressions. Um, but he's, like you said, he's just not seeing these guys. They're just sitting there laying back in like a, a, a half zone and, and they're, they're able to just snatch it out of the air. I, it's not good for him. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. So uh, who's the bad character guy you're, you're alluding to? Former Clemson guy? Does his name, does his name ride with bad jelly? Bad jelly. <laughs> no, he hasn't had a chance to be a dumpster fire uh, at the NFL level yet, but I hope someone, uh, it would probably be the Browns that would, that would uh, sink that draft pick on Chad Kelly. <laughs> uh, you said it, not me. Um, all right, so yeah, getting, getting, sorry, we digress. Getting back to Watson here. Uh, yeah, it, it, is, it just is very curious to know uh, why these things are happening. I mean, it's a little... Taj Boyd-esque if you know a lot of people have made those comparisons whether that's fair or not I don't know you know the the end of the day Deshaun Watson is a fantastic quarterback and I wouldn't take him over anybody else in the country it's not just because of his ability it's because of the person and the and the character that he has but we do need to see these things improve um if we can bring some positives to the table here the deep ball developed um, he has been making some great passes downfield now, um, and not to mention all the other fantastic throws he makes in the game. And I know if you're going to throw the ball 70 times or how many ever times we threw the ball that, you know, there is a higher probability that you have more interceptions. But these are just so in such critical situations and just so blatant misfires. Like, how do you miss the guy that, that's standing right in front of you wearing an opposite you know, the jersey of the opposite team, I, I just don't get it. So uh, hopefully we can see those things improve moving forward, although we're getting later in the season now. we played 10 games. It's kind of been a problem all year. I'm starting to lose hope. Yeah, uh, he's going to make uh, – he's going to have a lot of NFL execs uh, and GMs pulling their hair out because they're going to see that film and they're going to see so much good. They're going to see a lot of bad too, and it's going to keep them up at night. Ben, let me, let me go back a little bit to the running – if I could say the the run game and establishing that run game through uh, interior blocking uh, or just we'll say offensive line blocking altogether, if I could pinpoint one thing that I think is just a major disappointment and something that we overestimated that has not lived up to the hype, it's been the offensive line. It's been run blocking. I can't say in this game that had as much to do with the result. Like you like you said earlier, they they generally stuff the box. They want to get numbers in there. They were committed to stopping our run and not allowing, allowing us to beat them there. Uh, Deshaun Watson was clearly not going to be as active in the run game, um, so that even further shut down our ability to establish a consistent run game. Um, so, I, you know, that's kind of, like you said, I, I did also see some, some stuff about the run game, and I think that has been our biggest Achilles heel for the year. I think it will continue to be if we can't figure something out. Um, but I don't think that was what our undoing in this game. 
And uh, I, I will say though, uh, I need to keep, we need to keep an eye on the next two games if we can incorporate some pace into the offense. Because when your offensive line is the 80th best, and that's pr- approximately where we're ranked right now, 80th best in the country, um, you, you you try to slow down, get the play call in, be a little bit more deliberate. It's not working. Um, you, you don't want to use Deshaun Watson like you're in the, the ACC championship game or a playoff game, and that's fa- that's fine. You got to do something, and I think it's got to be pace, and it, you got to tire out the defense a little bit. That's the only way I can see us improving in, in that area. When do we see John Simpson come in and start to take more snaps away from Taylor Hearn? Uh, right away, <laughs> right away. And, and granted, too, we were playing with a couple freshmen, freshmen at tackle, and I, that didn't—I don't necessarily think did a, that didn't do us any favors. But uh, Taylor Hearn is. He's, he's got the body. He's got the meanness. He has not uh, been very good this year. He's been very inconsistent. And I think John Simpson has a ton of talent. You got Wake next game. I think you got to give him a shot. Well, and that's going to be a Wake game on the road, and Wake is a better team than they have been historically. But, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, you can make some excuses for the offensive line in this game, specifically being without from Oregon and then Hyatt goes down, so you have two true freshmen out there at tackles. Uh, so, And then even Maverick Morris was in there a lot for uh, Tyrone Crowder, uh, I noticed. So, again, I don't think it affected us so much in this game because we were more set up better to pass, and the passing game was very successful in this one. But you're right, taking a step back and looking at uh, the entirety of it and moving forward and what we're going to have to do, it is – a concern. And if Taylor Hearn specifically has not been doing the job, I think you do need to get John Simpson in there. And you're right, even starting to get Wake. We've seen that this coaching staff is not afraid to get the young guys in there at critical times to help build them up. So I think this is the time to do it because you're right. We may not need it against Wake. We may not need it against South Carolina. Heck, we may not even need it in the ACC championship game. But by the time we get into the playoffs, we're going to need to be able to run the ball. Right, and if that's if and if if we get into the playoffs, but yeah, absolutely, you, you just can't you can't beat the teams that we would potentially play uh, with with not with, with not being able to establish any kind of, of consistent run game, and and for me, it's not replacing one guy. That's that's not going to do very much because uh, it, it's not just one guy; it's the whole unit, and that's why I say pace, particularly. Uh, pace in the red zone whenever you you march the, the ball downfield and you get into that red zone situation a little bit of a hurry up when the defense is a little bit gassed that's the only way I mean uh, these guys uh, aren't going to get it together overnight uh, you know it, it is what it is at this point call a spade a spade we have a very average offensive line how can we mitigate they mitigate that uh, and, and improve it and I think it's through a little bit of pace so let's go to the play calling a little bit because uh, you've shown the inability to get a consistent run game established throughout the game. And then we get down into the into the red zone there. We run up the middle three times at the goal line uh, with backups in the game, essentially, when we're down seven. And then we have the fumble by Gallman, where he ultimately did score, but he, after a video review, but he barely got in there. And we ran three times in a the row there. And I don't understand, you know, why they did not call a pass play in that situation, at least on one of those downs. And then, so you see them do that and turn it around and then late in the game with the ability to go up two scores. We're already, even with a field goal, we go up two scores late in the game. And that's when they decide to throw. And they throw into traffic. And, you know, Jordan Leggett's now taking the blame. 
And the coaches are saying it's Deshaun Watson's fault. And Watson's saying he was throwing it to Renfro. And Jordan Leggett's like, oh, I thought he was throwing it to me. So what's going on? I mean, the, the, again, it's all coming down to the play calling. If, if you're going to do those three runs up the middle and then turn it around, I guess maybe they saw that that didn't work um, in that situation. But you're down seven. It seems like you're more likely to throw in that position, whereas when you're already in field goal range late in the game, you can go up two scores. Maybe then you're more conservative and you keep it on the ground. Yeah, for me, it goes back a little bit to the creativity uh, there's, well, you could talk about whether it should be a pass or a run, and I, I completely agree that uh, trying to run through the A gap uh, wasn't working, and I don't think it, I don't think it was, it was going to work. Um, but nothing new, no, no new looks, nothing. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh goes to a, a shovel pass uh, that they, they execute to perfection all game long. Um, I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's a, maybe it's an oversimplification. And maybe we don't have the football knowledge. God, you know, God knows we've heard it from a few fans about not knowing about football. Well, well please enlighten us if, if someone could. But I don't see anything new uh, where it's like, wow, I haven't seen that wrinkle from the playbook. I haven't seen that package um, to this point. And uh, I know it's, it's tough to really point the finger on it. But uh, maybe just in terms of at the end, yeah, why not pass it on, on, third, and, on third and was it third and one or third and two? I, I don't know. Uh, right at the end of the game, third and what? Well, my question was, if you're going to, and this happened earlier in the season, if you're going to bring in the jumbo package, why not bring him in on third down? Why are you waiting to fourth down? At least on third down, you could show a different look, and maybe you do bring in the jumbo package, and it turns into a pass play. Maybe Leggett gets out wide uh, with the jumbo package as a de- decoy, because Lord knows he isn't blocking anybody. Um, but then if it isn't successful, whatever you do with that package on third down, if it's not successful, you got two shots at it. You can do it again on fourth down. But instead, we just bring it out there for fourth down. We pitch it wide. Uh, you know, a couple guys miss their blocks. They get into the backfield and they get Gallman. Yeah, and I think the first, the third down uh, was Mylon Richard, uh, Garrett Williams, and Leggett. And Garrett Williams, I don't even think, was, was part of the play. He was off to the other side. So I think maybe it's just a way of uh, going out there uh, kind of the reverse of putting a donut on your bat. We're going to show you something so lightweight that maybe maybe you won't be ready for uh, the jumbo once once we're bringing it on fourth. Um, just joking, but you're right. If you're going to do it in, on on fourth and set on fourth and one, do it do it on third and one, or I guess it was third and two. Just just get the yards. Um, it, if you're going to if you're going to use these guys, that's the the extent of the creativity, the jumbo package, which I really like it. Just do it. Do it on third down. Probably should have punted on fourth. No, I disagree with punting on fourth. I think in that situation that, listen, if we punt, we're already a good ways down the field. We're not going to pin them that much uh, further back. And the likelihood is they've been driving on the defense all night long. There was going to be a pass interference thrown in there. You know that was going to happen. So I'm fine with leaving it to our offense to gain that one yard. But my question is, why do you keep going back to trying to run it to get that one yard when it hasn't been working? You haven't been able to do it all night long. With yeah. with all that field, it's not we're not talking about a bunch of guys crammed to the end zone. With all that field, do something more creative, get the ball in the air, or or hell, man, hand it off to Dexter Lawrence to see if anybody can stop him. Do something different. But again, we've talked about the play calling all year. We've talked about the lack of creativity and it's all these things add up. When you have that, you have the drops, you have the interceptions, 
you know, that leads to a loss. I'm going to give the defense a pass on this one. They're, they're do a bad game. They're allowed to have a bad game. This offense could have played better, could have cleaned up some mistakes and overcome those things. No, I absolutely agree. And like you said, it's, it's the cumulative effect of all these things uh, just kind of going the wrong direction, but that's, that's kind of been our identity. Um, well, let me say one last thing, and then maybe we can talk about the defense. Um, the, the interceptions are, are one thing. Some of those have been on the wide receivers, and I, I don't know exactly which ones, but I would estimate three, maybe five, have been on wide receivers this year. And that actually might be conservative when you consider the tips um, that, have, that have gone for an interception. If our receivers caught every, I won't say every, every drop ball, if they do not drop balls and they, do, and they run the right routes and, and are in sync with Deshaun Watson, then his year and his stats and his stat line are completely different. And he's probably not in, uh, in right there with Lamar Jackson, the Heisman conversation, but he's at least on the outside looking in. I can't even say, I can't even say he's in the, anywhere close to the conversation right now. But that's how bad and inconsistent our, our receivers have been with doing something just as basic as catching the ball, catching very catchable passes. Um, maybe we have too high of expectations for them, but I really don't think so. I think the talent's there. Uh, Everything's there. The 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 passing, uh, at least the accuracy, and in, in most cases, is there. They should just come down with the balls. That's probably been, in terms of what we expected coming into the year, probably the biggest disappointment. Uh, maybe just aside from the offensive line. Yeah, and I can see how that has been an issue all year long. Even in this game, Mike Williams had a crucial drop, as good of a game he had. Artavis Scott, I think, had some drops. McLeod had a big drop there but honestly the interceptions in this game two were poor decisions by Watson and one he overthrew Deion Kane I know Deion Kane maybe should have gone up better to get the ball or, or not tipped it I know they're taught not to tip it because that leads to interceptions but the fact of the matter is Deshaun Watson threw that ball high right right and it wasn't just one guy but it's a it's a total team effort and I think you've said this before and you have five I think it was you know probably four or five guys who all dropped the ball um I hate to say it's coaching, but it really is. It's, it's, it's something about technique, about fundamentals that go back to practice. And I, something, something just ain't right, man. I don't, that's all I can say. I guess that's maybe a little on Jeff Scott. Well, maybe Dabo needs to get back out there and coach wide receivers. You know, I've actually had that thought pass through my mind. Like we're putting a lot of this on Deshaun Watson. But then I also start th- thinking about, well, who's your quarterback's coach? Brandon Streeter. Um, is there an issue there? But... I don't know. I find it hard as as blatant as these interceptions are, as just the severity of just how dumb they are. To, to put it, you know, plain and simple, I find it hard to put that on a coach. I think there just needs to, in general, be better decision making on Watson's part. Right. I mean, I, we say play calling, and that's easy when a play call goes bad to say, "Well, it was a bad play call." And you can say, you know, coaching because you see one receiver group or one, one position group that doesn't uh, meet expectations. But you're right. Uh, part of that at the end of the day, too, is just executing. Great players consistently executing. And it, it hasn't happened this year. I don't think I have ever complained so much about 630 yards of total offense. I think I now know what it feels like to be a Texas Tech fan. Um, so on that note, uh, let's switch it over to the defense. Uh, Cody, again, we mentioned it. 
they are not to go without blame in this game. And I think Brent Venables will tell you this. I think he already has that this was Clemson de- Clemson's defense's worst game of the season. You know, got off the first half wasn't too good, although they did come around uh, in the third quarter. And I think they made enough stops where if the offense really took off uh, that we could have pulled away in this game. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was kind of a lot of the things um, that we've been talking about all year and worried about really came to a head in this game. And that was the inability of the linebackers in uh to do anything in coverage, to have any sort of success, and that's squarely mainly on Ben Bulware, and then also the secondary got abused a little bit. Yeah, I think it was on all levels. Uh, first thing, kudos, credit to Pittsburgh and their offensive game plan. Um, Venables deserves to have one like down game in, in three years, and this is he he got schooled. He absolutely got schooled, and that's again he deserves it because he's the one that's usually. Uh, school in the opposing offensive coordinator. Um, they did everything they could to exploit mismatches, and they did it to perfection. They were able to get Boware out in coverage, and he is as great as he is as a linebacker playing downhill. He is equally at, at that bad, or, or that bad at covering uh, wide receivers, and they were able to isolate him and do that. Um, our greatest strength as a defense is our ability to get penetration, not just from defensive ends, but also of shooting the gaps uh, in, uh, from the defensive tackles. And they were able to exploit that with that godforsaken shovel pass, and they, they kept going to it. And we did make the adjustment at halftime, but it was too little too late. They had really uh, gotten some yardage and gotten points from just a, a simple shovel pass. Um, great for them, uh, great game planning. And then um, maybe one last thing. It's tough to get up for every game. It seemed like... It seemed like the players, particularly in the second level, um, just maybe you're out of shape. Maybe the, the rigors of the season are starting to catch up with them a little bit. Um, they, seem, they seem to step slow. Um, they're, it's not the most athletic bunch in the world, but they, didn't, they just didn't seem like they were, they were firing uh, like they have in other games. Well, and now maybe we can talk about the officiating because I do wonder how much uh, of an effect it has on your psyche when every time you go out to defend a wide receiver, that if you even breathe on them, that a flag's going to be thrown. That's There were a couple phantom calls, but there's also, you got to admit, unless you're just you know, completely biased, you got to admit there is some bad techniques and poor fundamentals, uh, guys not getting their head around. Uh, now, the, the Kevon Wallace play was just I, such a head-scratcher. Um, Van Smith had a play that I think it was really bang bang, and I, I don't know why they threw the flag, but I think you're consistently consistently seeing guys having a hard time getting turned around, finding the ball, and uh, you know there's still too much hands on. Like maybe that's the way they're taught to play it. Maybe with the 15 yard penalty, maybe it's better to be you know on that side of the fence. But uh, <laughs> the book's out. We're getting flagged. You gotta you gotta go back to the drawing board. No, and I'll agree 100%. I think this secondary is a little handsy. Um, you know, even Tank, I think, is struggling in coverage. I'm not, you know, thrilled with his technique this year. Seems to have his back to the ball a lot and his hand on the receiver. But, you know, these refs are still professional refs. They, there's no excuse for the call on Kevon Wallace and how critical of a situation that was in the game. 
there was nothing there. He barely touched the wide receiver. So I think it does play into that a little bit. This isn't the first time this year that we've we've seen some questionable calls on the Clemson secondary, and it's all coming after Bobby Petrino has been whining after their game. So I, I think maybe that's a little bit built in. But And then talking to your point a little bit about whether or not they're taught to keep their hand on a guy, do you think that's maybe compensating a little bit for the fact that we don't have the fastest guys in the uh, in the world in the secondary? Well, you know, I've had that thought too. I mean, that, that seems like it would it would pan out. Uh, but that's not always the case. Tankersley runs a 4-4, a four, four, uh, maybe a 4-3. Uh, Mark Fields is maybe the fastest guy on the team. And those guys don't need to be getting handsy. Uh, they, they can do it on their own. Now, if it's if it's a Ryan Carter, if it's Van Smith, maybe on some, some level or to some extent, Jadar Johnson, those guys aren't as fast. I would expect that more from them, but no, I think the athleticism is there. It's just, I don't, it's poor technique. And, uh, yeah, uh, let, let me say this, uh, Ben Bulware reputations out. Um, he, that was a, another just, you know, mind blowingly stupid call by the referee. Um, Dabo, we, we ragged on, you talked about Petrino. We ragged on him as well as, uh, Jimbo Fisher for, you know, giving it to the refs. Well, Dabo was uh, class act, did not want to engage the media about the refs. I really appreciate that from him because he's, again, it's his job to talk to 18 to 22-year-old men, and part of that is letting them know that you control things you can, can control. And I think that's just a great leadership move on his part uh, at the end of the game. And he's obviously in a class above those two aforementioned coaches. Pretty sure you let him uh, hear it on the field, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he oh he definitely did. He definitely did. But you know, it's 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 it, the message he sends off. He knows he's he's got to go back to his team and and think think of the things that we can control and the things that we can fix. Um and you know, I think that's just a a really good move by by uh by Dabo. He might have dropped an F bomb, I'm just saying. So anyways, um You're going to break some people's hearts, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's just really has been an issue all year long. You know, and one thing now that I think about it, Cody, you know, I've noticed that teams are not beating us a lot this year by throwing stuff underneath and kind of methodically moving the ball downfield. Um, do you think maybe we're playing guys close to the line of scrimmage and that's allowing them to take off on these routes and engage in contact um, with our secondary? Whereas if we played a little bit further back and gave up more of that underneath stuff, it'd be less of an issue with these pass interference calls? Could be, could be a solution. I think Venables really likes to, to kind of be physical, for guys to be physical at the point of attack. I mean, there's a lot of benefits with that. Um, namely, you're able to get them out of their um, kind of out of their route. The time throws off the timing between the re- receiver and the quarterback. I like that. It's, it's. I think it's been partly a staple of, of Venables' defense. But Venables, great thing about him, he he doesn't have too much pride. He's um, he's all about winning and doing what it takes to making the adjustment to win. So um, that's potentially, potentially a strategy. I, I have to think after this one, um, one of the biggest things is how Pittsburgh was able to exploit our, our linebackers and their aggression. And I wonder if, if especially with the way that they're not the, you know, the biggest burners um, back at the back end of the secondary and at safety, I wonder if they don't keep, keep them guys back, keep Bulware and Joseph back a little bit and start sending less bullet blitzes to, to kind of occupy more space in the back seven. Well, do you even start to take Buller out on passing downs? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, that's that's the great thing about having some otherworldly defensive linemen. And we've seen them start to go more to that dime package where you rush three, send eight back. And because the athleticism isn't there really in the secondary and certainly not at linebacker, I, I think that's a, a great plan as long as it's a passing down. It doesn't have to be third down, but a, a second and long will do. I, th- I think that's a great strategy. And, and Venables, I'm sure, will start considering that. And I know it's going to be a hard decision to make, and I think Boulware at a certain point is going to have to swallow his pride and take one for the team. But if he's not the best person to have out there as much of a leader as he is, if he's not the best player to have out there to defend in a certain situation, then I think you have to make that call. I think so. I think so. Uh, there's, It's something we've, we seriously got to consider. And, again, it's, it's great to see how good uh, Dexter Lawrence can be um, at Noah's tackle, how, how dominant Christian Wilkins can be at strong side defensive end. And really, and really Farrell too at weak side has, has, has been good. They can go to that three man front and, and get, at least get a little bit of penetration. Do you think this defense has been exposed in this game? <laughs> I think so. Uh, a, li- a little bit. Um, they did some things on uh, with the linebackers and whenever they they could sense the blitz and it almost seemed like they they got some of uh, venable's calls in or, or something they 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 sniffed it out really well and that shovel pass which as Brian Greasy the commentator alluded to it's really the same concept or formation as as a a QB keeper it's just that their quarterback wasn't capable of running but still uh, all teams whether quarterback's dual threat or not have a, a solid blueprint to potentially expose expose Clemson again you have to execute really well really really well and they did or tight in with any any bit of athletic ability but you know in general I do think for me I don't think the defense is as exposed as we fear they may be because I do give Brent Venables the benefit of the doubt you know he made some really good adjustments going into the Syracuse game and he has historically made some really good adjustments to to certain things and when he sees certain weaknesses. So I do give him that benefit of the doubt moving forward. I tend to think this is more of an outlier than anything else. At least I hope that's the case. The defensive line has been dominant all year. They just particularly weren't able to get the, they weren't as effective in this game, but just like we expected that we weren't going to be able to run the ball as well on offense in this game, you know, I, I don't think that we thought that the defensive line was going to be as disruptive um, just because of what Pitt's game plan in was going to be. So they did surprise us with some things, and I'm sure they'll make some adjustments and fix that moving forward. But in the end, I, I still believe in this defense. This is the first time all year that they really kind of, I'm not going to say they let us down because, again, I don't think they're the reason that we lost this game. Uh, but I think we'll see them back to their old form in the coming weeks. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'm I'm less concerned about the defense. I I think I hate to say it, but I because uh, we were coming off a bye not too long ago. But I think the they're starting to get they're a little hobbled. Um, I think this game maybe I don't think they got up for it the way they would have gotten up for playing Florida State or playing Louisville. And uh, I I will say I think the defensive line played fairly well. They were getting penetration. Um, it's just I think a lot of it had to do with the, the, the you know, amazing execution by Pittsburgh. And then the back end, you know, just guys not uh, doing great in coverage, uh, maybe getting a little handsy, maybe a little bit of the referees. 
Um, definitely, definitely in need of uh, an, an, an infusion of athleticism at, at certain positions uh, that I think we have coming through the recruiting pipeline. But I don't think that is going to be um, necessarily our undoing this year. I think we have an, a, a, a good defense, a really, really good defense that can that can make stops against uh, championship level teams, uh, despite a few, uh, well, a, a fight, despite a few disadvantages uh, in the, in the back end. Yeah, and I'm not sure how the offense is going to uh, respond here with these last three games of the the two games of the regular season and the ACC championship game. But ultimately, if we do make the playoff, you know, again, I'm not sure how they're going to respond there. But I do expect the defense, given the time off and given the development that can happen with the younger guys uh, during um, that three weeks of bowl practice, I think you will see that make a lot of difference in the defense. And I'm more positive on them than I am on the offense at this point. And that's pretty surprising. We wouldn't have thought that going into the season. Um, so you mentioned it, Cody, kind of our final thoughts here. You know, moving forward, there's, there's no margin of error anymore. You know, as a consistent top-ranked team, you eventually you have to lose. And at least for me, I can take some solace in this loss and the fact that we lost to a team who came out fighting. They played with grit and heart and gave us all that we can handle. And as far as Clemson goes, you know, this team won 46 straight games against unranked teams. The last loss was in 2011 to NC State. Um, and then all eight losses since then have come to top 10 teams. So this team, more than anybody, deserves a mulligan. But I think we may just need to accept really at this point that perhaps this is what this team is. It's a really talented team that plays down to its competition. So as fans, we kind of need to go into every game expecting that it is going to be close and we could come down to a point where we lose another game. If it's a blowout, it's simply a luxury, uh, but it's no longer expected. And perhaps we should have come to this conclusion several games ago. Some of you may already have. I didn't, Cody. You've kind of been mentioning this. Um, but, you know, as they say, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't even begin to project how we're going to finish out the season or what you'll see against Wake Forest. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see 50 to nothing, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw uh, 21 to, to 19. Um and maybe that's us on the winning side of it. Um, it it's just, in my opinion, you can, you can go with the whole uh, silver lining. All of our goals are still ahead of us and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I just have never seen a team uh, that has championship aspirations not look like a champion for this much of the season and then turn it on and, and find a gear this late in the season. In any sport, really, a uh, few teams get hot. Um, it, and maybe they go on a run. It just—it's going to be really tough for Clemson to to find to close that gap, that delta. And well, if that delta is Alabama, I just don't see how they can get there. The, the the crazy thing is, I think we would both agree when Clemson does when the, the light switch is on, and you can look at short samples against Louisville, particularly on offense and defense, we're as good as anybody in the country, and we certainly have the talent to compete with anyone in the country. But it's just that I think that light switch is, is off a little bit more than it's on. Uh, well, responding to what you just said uh, about comparing it to a championship team not looking like a championship team throughout the season, I will point to the 2011 New York Giants. Uh, they went 9-7, and seven, came out of there, eventually won the Super Bowl. So there is precedent. It does happen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the NFL. Does that make you feel better? 
Not when, uh, well, I was Nick Saban wasn't around in the NFL, but I guess that wouldn't have mattered. But uh, when the competition is as good as it is and executes as consistently as it does, um, yeah, I I don't know. I it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I hope we'll we'll get things together. And like you said, I think the gap between uh, the first game of the playoff and the conference championship that could really help a lot. It did it did help us a lot last year. I think we we got better. We went from a a B team, B minus team to uh, an A team. Oklahoma had a little bit of uh, say in that, but anyways, uh, let's move on now. I hate to bring this up, our podcast prediction challenge, because we were all so far off base. But the only reason I do bring it up is because I won this week, uh, and really only because I had uh, Clemson with 45 points, and that was closest to their uh, final score. We were all off on pit. Um, None of us had them scoring more than 17 points in this game. So there you go. I'm leading on the year. Um, And that's all that really matters to me. So, Cody, let's get around uh, college football and talk a little bit about the games that happened this weekend. Again, I mentioned the U. I kind of just shut everything off after Clemson lost and really had to catch myself up the next day. Um, kind of a couple of the big revelations. Michigan loses to Iowa 14-13, to and I don't understand how Michigan does not drop in the polls. They were sitting at three going into that game. They lose. They lose their quarterback for likely the year, and the playoff committee still has them at number three tell me what sense that makes i i didn't get that one either i mean i'm not too upset about it because i don't feel like we're, to, we're even deserving to be a top four team but at least you know based off the criteria if we were better than them going into this week i don't know i guess uh the the argument would be that their loss wasn't as bad as our loss because it was on the road um but uh, i think you have to take everything in aggregate and the loss is certainly part of that but you would think that the resume that one week before was better um, would also factor in and, and you know try and trump the the one loss. Well, not to mention they lost their quarterback. So I did right. I, I did think that the the committee takes those things into consideration. I mean, let's be reasonable. You lose your starting quarterback. That's your your ranking is going to be affected by that. Now, the reason we don't really need to worry about that is because ultimately they do play Ohio State, who jumped to number two in the polls, and I. I have, you know, there's no argument I can make against them doing that. They um, blew out Maryland 62 to three. Um, so between those two teams, one will lose, and we're sitting at four anyways. So I think we're fine there. I mean, there is some benefit to moving into that two to three position because ultimately you're not going to have to play Alabama. Right, and you, there is a in the first round at least. Right, I, I totally agree. I think there's a, there's a chaos theory coming out of the Big Ten because Washington or um, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. And Penn State are potentially still in the conference race. It could be complete chaos. Um, for one, Clemson needs to, to win out, of course. And I think if they do, uh, there's no doubt they still control their own destiny. They're in. To get into that two or three spot, uh, I think they need to win with a little bit of style points. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's a chance that Louisville could jump Clemson. But I don't think you want to play with fire and barely get past Wake Forest and barely get past USC and then eventually the Coastal winner um, if, if we were to make it that far and then have Louisville beat teams by 50. So don't think that's going to happen, but I would rather not be uh, – I'd rather not risk it. No, and again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when you're undefeated, close wins or whatever you won, you're still undefeated. But once you have a loss, those close wins are more heavily scrutinized. Right, and 
lucky for us, one of our close wins was against Louisville. And well, and at the end of the day, if we win out and win the ACC championship game, there's no way that Louisville jumps ahead of us. Period. Never going to happen. I don't care if they beat Houston a hundred and nothing. It's just not going to happen. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Um, for us, maybe Louisville isn't the biggest team that we should worry about, but maybe another Big Ten team sneaking no. in and Clemson, getting that second or and third seed. Clemson is the biggest team Clemson should worry about. It's been the same thing all year long. We kill ourselves. We beat ourselves. That's the only thing. It's not the other teams. Clemson is the only team Clemson should worry about. Yeah, true. And when you're playing Wake Forest, that holds true. Same thing for against South Carolina at home. And, and even in the ACC championship game, I, I just, I, I think, like you said, you're jockeying for position a little bit. You want to get to that three seed uh, for obvious reasons. You don't, you don't want to play Alabama in that first game. Uh, frankly, I don't think we want to play anyone in the top five, but, uh, but Alabama, especially. For me, I want to play Michigan in the first game <laughs> and I'll beat them because I don't like Jim Harbaugh. Um, and for the fact they see where they're at. Um, and then I want to get Alabama in the national championship game and beat them this year again. I think give us those three weeks off. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm only down on this team because of all of the mistakes. I'm not down on this team as far as potential and talent goes because I think if everything is going right, at times the way they played against Louisville in that second quarter and in other portions of games this year, they played like the best team in the country. Unfortunately, they don't always put it all together. Right, and I think even though we're we're down and we get negative, rightfully so after this loss, in a short sample, and anything can happen. Uh, I don't think it's quite like the NFL, but anything can happen. And Dabo has has a great track record of I think keeping teams focused. I don't know if it's game planning. Part of that is is probably holds true. But I think it's in a three-week period where guys can tend to lose their attention, 18 to 22-year-olds. I think Dabo does a good job of keeping everybody focused, kind of cleansing yourself from the year, whether it be a good or bad, cleansing yourself and starting anew. And I think that's why you've seen such good performances in his tenure uh, during the bowl games and even last year. So I, I agree with you. It's kind of like a new life if we can somehow make it through the next three games. Well, hopefully the big fat L gets their attention. And like I mentioned before, I mean, if we were going to lose a game this year, apparently this was the weekend to do it. Um, let's keep going here. You know, Washington lost big to Southern Cal. Southern Cal's playing a lot better. Um, but I think we can pretty much consider the Pac-12 out of it at this point, do you think? I, th unless, yeah, I think Unless so. some other drastic things happen. Um, we're not going to be talking a lot about Washington anymore. They've lost some key players to injury. Um, so I think we can consider them out of it. It's going to be very interesting to see how this race shakes up. I mean, you're starting to see Oklahoma climb back up in there. If Ohio State beats Michigan, Penn State actually goes to the Big Ten championship game. They win that. What do you do there? Wisconsin's probably the best two-loss team in the country right now. They continue to win. So it's, it's a very interesting race. You know, Bama is making everything kind of boring, holding that number one seat, um, spot they're not going to budge, I don't imagine. But, you know, two through four, there's a lot of movement that's been going on. There's a lot of movement that's probably still going to continue to go on. Right. It's, it's a chaos theory, and it's looking a lot lot uh, more likely of, of two, big ten, two Big Ten teams as of now. I don't know if that's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Longshot, Wisconsin, or if it's going to be 
um, or if it's going to be um, a, a, an outsider, would that be Washington, Louisville? But I, I think it's more likely for the for the latter to be, or I'm sorry, the former to come to fruition. Okay, so that's how things shake out around college football. Again, we learned tonight that Clemson uh, remains in the four position. That's all that really matters. We still control our own destiny. The loss was not as bad as it could have been. Um, I want to talk about one more game real quick, and that's uh, South Carolina's loss to Florida. And the only reason I bring this up, not because I watched the game or because I care so much that South Carolina lost, because I expected them to lose in this game, but if there are any South Carolina fans listening, when Clemson loses a game and you also lost a game, why are you texting us to give us crap for the fact that we lost when you also lost and you're a terrible football team playing in one of the worst football divisions in the country of the Power Five conferences? Have you no shame? You lost yourself. Turn off your phone, put it away. It's dangerous. You're just making fools of yourself. You know, I think it's an egoless group. They have no ego. They have no pride. They they don't care. They're okay. I think they've accepted failure to some extent. And they live they live vicariously through our losses. That's absolutely. How they, that, that's how they feel success with with a small uh, touch of hope for the future and and maybe the coach boom era. I don't know. I don't know. And hey, you know, good for them. Good for them. Yeah, I guess. Well, we'll see what happens this Saturday after Thanksgiving. Um, but before we play that game, Cody, we're going to have to play Wake Forest first. They're second to last game of the regular season. We're playing them next week at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is six and four in the year, three and three in the ACC. This isn't going to be a cakewalk. Uh, Wake Forest played Louisville close this last week before Louisville went off in the fourth quarter. Um, they're a much improved team. They've been competitive in every loss uh, they've had this year. You know, for me, I'm looking forward to how does Deshaun Watson and the team rebound. I don't think Wake Forest's offense is going to give us the same, nearly the same problems that Pitts did. Uh, so I really want to see the offense come out and dominate and, and just really turn it around and to see Deshaun Watson bounce back from that game, bounce back from the criticism, bounce back from the rare loss, go, go on the road, a night game. I know it's not the most hostile of environments in hell. There might even be more Clemson fans in the stadium than Wake Forest fans. But, I, I, you know, somehow this has become the biggest game of the year. Well, D- Dabo had a great, cro- uh, great quote, prosperity uh, isn't a great teacher. And he's right. He's a guy that's dealt with, with uh, you know, failure and, and had to overcome a lot of adversity uh, throughout his life. And we'll see if he can instill that in his team. And he's a guy, he's, he's overcome just about every challenge in his life. It'll be interesting to see how they come out. I think they'll be fired up, to say the least. Well, not to mention, he also said that, including the national champions, Alabama, last year, there was no team in the country that didn't have a loss. So there you have it. Um, So that wraps it up for football. Um, Again, looking forward to that Wake Forest game. There's even more on the line now than there was before. It will be interesting to see how the team bounces back. Let's shift it over now to Clemson basketball real quick. You know, this is a brand new season for Clemson basketball. A lot of excitement around the team. Jerron Blossom game comes back. Uh, the newly renovated uh, Little John Coliseum is open. There's a lot of expectations surrounding this basketball team. Some transfers have come in that are going to get that are now eligible to play this year. Clemson opened the season 
uh, beating Georgia 74 to 64 at Little John. You know, to me, this was a a very positive sign to see some of the adversity that Clemson faced in this game. Um, you know, Shelton Mitchell was out in this game with injury. Uh, Ty Hudson was suspended. Elijah Thomas is not uh, eligible to play until December. So we're already down a few guys, but Clemson, you know, kept it together, ended up winning by 10. It got close a few times, but man, Marquise Reed comes out. Welcome to Clemson, sir. You know, 19 points. He had a big seven point run near the end of the game to really pull away. Gabe DeVoe, where's, you know, I'm going to eat crow on that one because I didn't think he would develop into, into much from what we saw his first couple of years, but he had 15 points. Blaster game, of course, with 13, we're going to, you know, he's been voted by ESPN, selected as one of the top 10 players in NCAA basketball. So, Cody, a pretty good start to the season, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. When you compare it to year, years past, we usually get off to really slow starts. So, no, it's, it's, it's for all the reasons you mentioned, a very exciting time. I, lo- I really like Marquise Reed. He's, I watched him a little bit during his freshman season. He's a very skilled offensive player, a guy that I think is going to, help round out a little bit, give us a little bit more firepower from the wing. And uh, I, I don't know what he's going to give us on defense. Uh, that's not really his calling card, so hopefully he can step up his game there. Right now he's a six-man, though, so hopefully you can hide him with maybe some better defenders and uh, he can give you a little bit of punch off the bench. Like you said, Gabe DeVoe, who knew? Uh, I, I, I didn't want to call him a lost cause either, but he, uh, he didn't look like he was going to pan out to be a good defensive or a Division one player. And he's looking very confident and like a completely different player. Um, those two bright spots, along with Blossom Game and, um, and uh, Dante Grantham, I think give you a core for a, a really solid group. And we still don't know what we're going to get from Shelton Mitchell. Um, he could give another spark along with, is it Elijah Thomas, A&M transfer? Uh, yeah, and, and for him, the reason why I think he's important is, listen, I really love the development of Jate. And also, Legend Roberton uh, played good in this game, especially on the defensive end. But both those guys, foul trouble continues to be an issue. I almost feel like uh, Landry Noko was back out there again this year with all the fouls that we were accumulating in the post. So to get Thomas in there, um, especially you know, former five-star guy, um, he can play the four or the five. But just to give them some relief, because at this point, when Jatea Roberton get in foul trouble... Uh, Blossom game is the only one in there to back them up at that position. So um, it, he's going to be a big addition. I think we may see some struggles a little bit early on in the year without him. Um, there may be some growing pains there, but I think ultimately we're, we're going to fare pretty well this year. I, I'm really positive about the direction this team is going in. Uh, we played Davidson now coming up on Thursday in the Tire Pros Invitational, um, and that's a tournament uh, that also has Xavier Missouri in. Uh, Xavier and Missouri is playing in this tournament. So I think we're going to learn a lot more about this basketball team. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of positives come out. We have some, some, you know, some scores now. Sheldon Mitchell is going to be the guy. Marcus Marquise Reed is going to be a guy that, that looks to score. And that's something that we haven't really seen from this team, uh, this Clemson basketball program outside of the, you know, one main guy, whether that be KJ McDaniels or Jerome Blossom game. Right. And I think part of that too is, the defense, especially perimeter defenders or perimeter defense, took a small step back. Uh, defense has been a big a big part of the Brown Alley era. It's something he cares about. So when you have that competition in the backcourt, a lot of offensive talent. Uh, if they can't play defense, they're not going to get on the court. So 
hopefully that competition leads to guys that will be committed on both ends. Certainly the depth will make them fresh. Um, you're you're going to see, I think, there's no reason. We only have one sample, uh, one game sample so far, but there's no reason we don't take a step forward and have a uh, at least a, a, a strong chance at making it to the tournament. Well, I don't even think it's a strong chance. I think it's mandatory this year, and I think it's to be expected. And we're not even talking about a just get into the tourney and play one game. I think, honestly, I think this team, especially since Blossom game has returned this year, it should be expected for them to make it past the first week of the NCAA tournament. I think this team could finish as high as fourth in the ACC this year. I think they're going to be that good. Yeah, I would have to agree that they're a little undervalued um, when you're seeing them ranked anywhere from like ninth to 11th preseason ACC. Now, the ACC is very good. Uh, they're going to take some. They're going to take some lumps, but uh, to think that they could be top five is it's certainly it's realistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you saw how well they played last year. I mean, Brunel's actually had some pretty good uh, performing teams in the ACC. They've always ended up performing better than they were ranked at the beginning of the season, and I think this year you're going to see them take that step again. Boston game coming back is huge. Um, so one other sport to talk about. Again, Clemson soccer doing really well this year. They did lose 3-1 to one to Wake Forest in the ACC championship game uh, down in Charleston this past weekend. However, they do draw the number three overall seed in the NCAA tournament. It's a tournament field of 48 teams, I believe. They get a bye in the first round. They will host a second-round game this Sunday at Historic Riggs Field. They will play the winner of South Carolina and Mercer. Folks, there is no football game to go to this weekend unless you plan to make the trip up to Wake Forest. So if you have the time and you have the ability, get out there to Riggs Field, go support that soccer team. Remember, this is a soccer team that played for the national championship last year. Again, it's not just football. A lot of exciting things going on with Clemson Athletics. So that's about all the time we have today, folks. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter and iTunes. Leave us comments there or on the message boards. You can send us mailback questions to clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back at you for a recap of the Wake Forest game, which, like I said, somehow has become the biggest game of the season. Um, and until then, and as always, go Tigers. Was, listen, we give you scholarships. We give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. I can't give you guts, and I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they